the Lord. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah and mourned his tenth day in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishmael. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's word. All right, as you are seated, give me a voice of prayer for us. Father, we are grateful recipients of your word. God, we as your people believe that you have spoken and that you've spoken here in Genesis eleven twenty seven through 12, 3. And so, God, I pray that as we hear these words, as we see the story of your servant Abram, that we would be encouraged responds in like faith and that we would be grateful recipients of your promise as we are your word. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I am ecstatic to be able to uh, come and proclaim God's word. I, I don't get to do it as frequently as I used to, so this is a real uh, privilege to be able to do so today. For those of you who don't know me, um, I am uh, Avery, and I am our pastor of Family Discipleship, and so I am grateful to be able to, to proclaim God's word to you today. So one thing about me is that I do not really love traveling. It's not like that I, I hate traveling. It's just that given the choice of like traveling and not traveling, I would not travel. So it's not really my thing. Like I feel bad for Paige, you know, we're like trying to plan a vacation. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you got the cost and you got to get someone to watch a kid, you know, and we've got to like rearrange our schedule. Ah, I don't, I don't know. Right. So like I don't love traveling, but I do love stories of people setting out on an adventure, people setting out on a journey, right? Like. I loved The Hobbit when I was in uh, middle school. And uh, when I was even younger, um, I really loved Milo and Otis. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but yeah, it's a story of a dog and a cat setting out on an adventure. Um, it's a solid one. It's, uh, I think it's 1980, so some of you probably got the opportunity to watch that when you were kids, too. Um, yeah, I love that story. I love the story of Lewis and Clark, you know, going across the, the Louisiana Territory and going and, and seeing the Pacific Ocean, the Rocky Mountains for the first time, having, you know, no clue what was out there. I love the story of someone setting out on an adventure and on a journey. 
And so as we start this sermon series through Genesis 12, we come and look at someone, a story of someone setting out on a journey, a man named Abram. So we are this week starting, uh, or maybe resuming, anyway, we're, we're doing a sermon series uh, on Genesis 12 through 50. Some time ago, um, last half of like 2020, we went through Genesis 1 through 11 uh, at a much slower pace than we are going to go <laughs> with uh, 12 through 50. And um, Genesis 1 through 11, if, if you were here, you remember, kind of covers, or if, if you know Genesis 1 through 11, uh, regardless of whether you're here or not, kind of covers like the big picture of the world and how the world came to be in the state that it's in now, right? It, it details how God created the world and how, how man sinned against God and how he fell from his garden uh, and how, uh, how God sent the flood, how... how um, you know, people continued in pride and rebellion and uh, the Tower of Babel, right? That's all covered there, Genesis 1 through 11. It's kind of a big picture view of how the world came to be. Genesis 12 through 50 narrows its focus intensely, as you saw us read this morning, down to one person in Genesis 12, Abram. And from there, tells the story of how the nation of Israel came to be. How, uh, what were the origins of the, the nation of Israel. And so Genesis 12 through 50 is kind of the story of how God's went about creating this nation, uh, this special beloved nation of his. And so um, this, this sect, I'm really excited to be able to get back into Genesis because here in Genesis 12 through 50, I think we find some of the most rich narrative parts of scripture, some of the rich, most rich stories, theologically rich stories in scripture, probably only superseded by the gospels. And so I, I'm ecstatic this morning to be able to begin with this first story we see here in Genesis 12, which is God's call to Abram. I am this morning going to be saying Abram the whole way, even if it says Abraham at least that's my intention, because I've got to pick one. Because if I pick Abram or Abraham, we're both going to go crazy. So um, we are looking at the story of Abram and God's call to him. I believe in Abram's call, the, the call that God places on him, we also ourselves find our own story, a call and a blessing of our own. And so in looking at Abram's story, I think we find uh, an, an example and a seed of what our story will be, what our story will become in Abram's. So what I want us to do this morning is to look at God's call to Abram in Genesis in 12.1, and then to look at um, God's promise of blessing to Abram in 2 through 3, and then to see how our story emerges from Abram's story. So we'll look here first at, in uh, chapter 12 and verse 1 with this call that God places on Abram. This call that God places on Abram. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
So what I want to see here in God's call that he places on Abram is the substance of the call, the thing God is calling him to do, and the severity of the call, how serious of a call this was for Abram. The first thing we see, the substance of the call, basically, that God is giving to Abram is to leave, to get up from where he's at, to leave and to follow him. I think it can be very easy to overlook the difficulty of what God is calling Abram to do here. In calling him to leave where he's at, he's calling him to make a clean and full break with everything he knows. It says that he calls him to leave from his country, his kindred, his father's house, right? The place that he's living, the place that he's from, the the people that he knows and loves, his kindred, and even his own clan, his father's house, to leave everything he knows behind to make a clean break with his life as it is. And then he, he, the call that he gives him to follow, the call to follow itself is difficult too because at this point, the Lord is rather scant in details with Abram. He says, to go from your country and go to a land that I will show you. you know, right? It's kind of like, look, I, like, I'm not going to tell you where. But I promise, there, there is a place that I'm going to show you. I need you to leave everything you know. And I'm, there, I promise, there's a, I'm not kidding with you, there is a place. And so he asked him to leave and follow not to a specific GPS set of coordinates, right? Like he is asking him to follow him and saying that I will show you the place to which you are to go. And so that's basically the substance of what God's calling Abram to do. Make a clean break with everything he knows and follow to, at this point, literally, only Lord knows where, um, and follow where he will guide him. All right, so that's, that's the substance of what God's calling him to do. But we note that it is a very serious and severe thing that God is calling Abram to do. First, because leaving home is always challenging. All right, so many of you have done this in, in, in greater ways than me. Uh, but the most significant time kind of, of like leaving what I know, going somewhere else that I've done in my life so far was when I, I left home and went to, uh, went to college. Now, I know a lot, of, a lot of people aren't doing this in the same way that, that I did when, when I went to college. But it was, it was one of the situations where I was like with my parents and then the next day, I was living in a place where I knew nobody, not a soul, right? And those first few weeks were really, really hard for me to be apart from everything that I knew, like to not have my, my parents with a, their stock refrigerator, you know, that I could go get a snack anytime I wanted to. Um, you know, I, like I got dropped off with, with like, you know, some fruit snacks and Cheetos, went through those by day three, you know, and I was like, well, what now? I guess I have to buy food, right? Like, you know, it was a very challenging time in my life. And some of you have, have moved across the country away from, from family, from everything you know. And you know that it's difficult always to leave home. Leaving home is always challenging. But I think that Abram's background that we see here in uh, Genesis 11, 12, and even 13, kind of the, the picture of Abram that we get, I believe would have made it even more difficult than usual for Abram to leave home. First, 
Abram's religious background, I think, would have made it really, really difficult for him to leave home. And we can't know with, with absolute certainty, but it appears from the, the way that Scripture tells this story that this was Abram's first encounter with God. Right? So he didn't have like some prior knowledge of what the Lord was like. Right? They, at this point, there wasn't the law, there wasn't the sacrificial system, there wasn't uh, all of this that we would see later in, in, in Exodus and Leviticus and, and on through uh, the Old Testament. He did not have this prior frame of reference, but this was, to the best of our knowledge, God's first contact with him. And it's unlikely that he would have been worshiping God in this, you know, the Lord in any real way. And so, without a frame of reference, For who is speaking to him, God shows up, and the first thing that he says to him is to get up and go and to leave everything that you know behind. This, I think, would have made it extremely difficult to obey this call of God. All right, like, here's here's my pastoral, like, advice to you is if at any point ever an unknown deity contacts you and says to move somewhere that I will show you, my advice would be do not do that right? Uh, because there's, there's an extreme amount of doubt that comes, because that's not our usual way things happen in life, right? And so uh, it's natural that Abraham, I think, would have been skeptical of this call that God is placing, having no frame of reference or knowing God at all. So I think Abraham's religious background would have made it difficult to obey. I think his family background would have made it difficult to obey in, in a couple of ways, right? So looking here at Genesis 11, uh, as Blakely read, um, we see it appears that Abram was part of a pretty close-knit immediate family. He traveled with his father, um, his, his, his brothers, um, and of course their families as well, you know, his nephew Lot. So they're, they're all traveling together to the point where um, Terah died before uh, Abram, like, you know, before his face. Like he died there, he was still with Abram when he died. And doing the math here, Terah, Abram's father, was only a bit, uh, died only a bit before his wife. So evidently they spent considerable time together. They knew each other uh, very closely and they were, the best of our uh, assumptions here, a very close-knit family. So I I don't know... um, uh, you know, everybody has different family lives, but if you are married, if you have kids, or um, if you even have a, a really close-knit uh, family like your parents, you're still close to them, you know that when you make decisions in life, they carry a bit of a different weight than when you're making decisions just for yourself. Knowing that your decisions affect the welfare of your family is a heavy weight to bear. And so when Abram is called to leave and to go where God would send him, he was not just weighing his own welfare, but the welfare of the family that he loved as well. I believe this would have made it also difficult to obey. Finally, we see that Abram's childlessness, I believe, would have made it difficult to obey this call of the Lord. So in this time, in this, this era of, uh, of, of the world, being childless itself was difficult enough. 
right? Because you had no lineage, you had no legacy to pass on. Like we think often, when we think about passing on a legacy, we think in terms of our work, the things that we produce, right? But, but here, your legacy came through your children. And furthermore, this would have been, I think, even more difficult to Sarah um, because women in this culture really didn't have any other alternatives for work, right? And childbearing and, and rearing was kind of the thing to do. That's what you did. There wasn't really an alternative there. And so being childless, as it says here in verse 30 of chapter 11, being barren with no child, that would have been a matter of real shame for both Abram and Sarah. But more than that, God's promises, as we'll see, are kind of embedded in this idea that Abram has to have an heir, has to have a son. Right, as, as we'll note here in just a minute, the first thing he says is that I'm going to make you a great nation. And just doing a little bit of deduction, before someone can be made into a great nation, they kind of, you have to start with like one child, right? And so, this call and promise that God was issuing to Abram would have been difficult to obey because the circumstances said, this ain't happening. Circumstances were that they were childless, and so there was no possibility that God could make them into a great nation by ordinary means. And by the way, at this point, they had already more or less passed natural child-having age. So when I look at all of this, and I put all of this together, I see that God's call was a call to action. But before it was ever a call to action, the prerequisite call here is a call to believe. It's a call to have faith. All of this is too much for someone without faith. All of this uh, religious background, having no idea of who was calling them, the, the family background, the, the family that you would be endangering, the childlessness that, that prevented this from even happening, all of this would have been too much for someone to act and obey this call, to respond in obedience, if they did not have faith. And so before any of this, God is calling Abram to faith. Faith in his promises. Speaking of God's promises, we see that God did not just issue a call to Abram, but he made incredible promises of blessing to Abram. We just look at the, uh, the verbs here um, in the calling language. God's really only calling him to do one thing, one thing, to go, right, to get up and to go and follow. And the verbiage here around God's blessing, there are five, five descriptions of blessing. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you make, and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And we might could even debate a sixth one there. And you, all of the families of the earth, shall be blessed, right? It's passive there. Um, but this blessing that God promises outweighs the call, uh, even just the number of, of blessings to, to call, five to one. So God, even in the midst of this call of some, asking something from Abram, is promising a rich outpouring of blessing upon him. 
So God, in, in verses uh, 2 and 3, makes, I believe, four promises. Essentially, promises to do four different things. Promise number one, verse two, I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. Essentially, this is a promise that God is making to Abram to give him a great number of descendants, right? He's saying that I will take you as an individual and I will turn you into a full nation of people. And now, we know that this was fulfilled, basically, in the people of Israel, right? As I've already said, the, the rest of Genesis 12 through 50 kind of tells a story of, of how this happens, of how God takes one person and, and multiplies him through, uh, through a son uh, that, that grows and grows and grows, and eventually you have the nation, the people of Israel there um, at the beginning of Exodus, Right, so that's, that's basically the rest of the book. And so Genesis, in a way, is the story of God's faithfulness to this promise here in uh, verse 2, that he will make of Abram a great nation. So the rest of the book kind of is, is detailing how God is faithful to that promise, despite, as we will see, extenuating circumstances. Right, So God continues to be faithful to this promise of Abram, uh, all the way through the rest of this book and the many, many generations that come after Abram. And so, uh, in, in a further sense, though, the Old Testament is kind of the story of God's continued faithfulness to this promise to this nation that would come from Abram despite their continued unfaithfulness. God remains faithful to this promise that he makes here uh, to Abram. So that's the first promise that he will make of Abram a great nation. Promise number two, I would say, is I will provide richly for you. Right, so verse, um, the rest of verse two, it says, I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless you and make your name great. So I see there kind of a description of, of God's providing for Abram. First, he kind of promises him physical well-being. He says, I will bless you. And that is a very, very general thing to say, right? I, I will bless you. Um, but I think the idea there is that he will, based on everything else that's provided, like if we're using the process of elimination, like what kind of blessing is not described, I believe it's kind of the physical provision of giving uh, Abram the things that he uh, needs for life. I think a lot of the times we kind of shy away from language that talks about God giving physical provision as a blessing. Sometimes because we, we, you know, we don't want to get in that prosperity gospel kind of like uh, stuff mixed in. Um, but it's true that every good thing that we have is a blessing from the Lord, is a gift from his hand. And so what God's promising here to Abram is to bless him, to provide for him. So he promises physical well-being, and he promises enduring renown. He says that I will make your, make your name great. So essentially that he would bring honor to Abram's name. And of course he fulfilled that in Israel. Um, as as we, you, know, you see in the New Testament, people are still talking about being children of Abram. And 
force, he's fulfilled that in the church today, right? We still uh, honor Abram. We, we still talk about his great name, right? There's, there's a reason, like, we fist pump and sing about being children of, uh, you know, sing about Father Abraham and all that. Um, so um, God promises to make Abram's name great. He also promises, the third promise, that he will protect Abram. It says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Right? So that's pretty straightforward there. God is saying that uh, those who, are, um, who treat you well, I will treat them well. Those who try to harm you, I will curse them. And it's good that God is promising, promising to protect Abram because it would be very unlikely that he could do the first promise, that he could make Abram into a great nation if he were not protecting him. So God promises protection of Abram. The fourth promise, the fourth promise to me is unexpected and perhaps the most incredible. Fourth promise is that I will bless the entire world through you. Second half of verse three there. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, God obviously is making a promise to this one individual, this one person, Abram. But it's not a promise that ends, terminates with one individual, but it is a promise that spreads to one nation and ultimately to all the nations. A promise to bless the entire world. God's purposes here are not just to bless one person. God's purposes here are not just to create a nation, but he has a goal, a purpose here that extends to all the earth so that what he begins with Abram will eventually bring a blessing to every person. We believe and know this to be true in the greatest sense in the coming of Jesus Christ. And here in calling this one individual and making him into a great nation, that, would have, that nation would eventually, you know, through the Lord, produce the law, which would tell God's standards of righteousness and holiness. It would produce the sacrificial system, which just described God's presence. It produced the prophets who prophesied one who would come and fulfill that righteous law and show how to be in God's presence in that sacrificial system. And eventually, through this line of Abram, would come forth that Messiah in Christ. And through his life, death, and resurrection, forgiveness of sins is offered to every person in the world. So that all the families of the earth could be, might be, blessed through this call of one man. So because of that, Abram's story becomes our story. What begins with Abram continues on through the church in the coming of Jesus and the institution of the church. So in looking at how our story connects with Abram's story, there's an important question to ask. How is a person 
part of Abram's family. How is a person part of Abram's family? Now, the most immediate and obvious answer would be, you got to be a Jew, right? You got to be born of the line of Abram, like the, the physical lineage. You got to, you know, you got to be able to go on Ancestry.com and, you know, click through all the articles and figure out, you know, how you connect with Abram, right? That's how a person is a child of God. And that was the belief of the Jews at the time of Jesus. In uh, John 8, you may want to turn there. Uh, we'll be there in just a minute. But John 8, John 8, Jesus kind of gets into a bit of the, a spat like this with uh, some of the Jews that were following him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is uh, in context of saying a lot of other things, telling him, hey, if you follow me, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Right, so Jesus is, is talking about what it means to follow him and how following him they will find real truth. But they say, they kind of divert the conversation by saying, well, we're Abraham's children. So as far as I know, we're, we're doing pretty good. But Jesus challenges that. The idea that just by being born as a Jew that they could claim being Abraham's child. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, and this is not what Abraham did. Jesus' point, Jesus' contention to them is that being a child of Abraham does not just mean that you can trace your lineage to Abraham, but that you have some degree of family resemblance, right? As, as Matthew talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, right, there should be some resemblance here uh, of Abraham to children. Like when I, I go around in Belmont where I grew up, um, you know, I just meet a random person. They're like, you Max boy? And I'm like, yes, I am. How'd you know that? And they know because of, you know, my facial expressions mimic my dad's. The way I talk is, is similar to my dad's. The, the kinds of things I say, like my mannerisms, I, I, I resemble my father. So that's how they identify it. Jesus is saying, you claim to be children of Abraham. And I, you know, look, I know you're offspring of Abraham, but you bear no family resemblance whatsoever. What you do is nothing like what Abraham did. Abraham believed, and you are doubting the one that God sent. So there's, Jesus is saying that there's something more to being a child of Abraham than simply claiming to be one. And Paul finishes this thought in Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's us, the non-Jews, preached 
the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the thought that Jesus begins there, Paul completes. He says, It is not one who has been born as a child of Abraham, who is a true child of Abraham, but it's the one who does what Abraham did, and that is to believe. So we are counted as part of Abram's family and recipients of this promise of blessing, not not because of physical ancestry, but because of doing what Abraham did, or Abram did. I, I knew I'd do it one time. Anyway, doing what Abram did, which is to believe. So, if we are part of Abram's story, if Abram's story is our story, does his response here to God's call provide any guidance for us? Well, I believe it does. I believe that Abram's response to God's call here provides some characteristics that should mark a Christian's life. If we claim to be recipients of the same promise, if we claim to be Abram's children, I believe that there are characteristics of Abram's response here that should be characteristics of our lives as well. First thing that we see in Abram's response is that it is a response of faith. Shouldn't be a surprise at this point. Abram responds, of course, before doing anything else with faith, with believing what God had promised, right? And the same must be true for us. Before we can do anything of obedience, before we can uh, respond in, in, in any other way, we must believe what God has said to be true. And here's why, here's why that's true why we must believe before we can do anything else. If you do not believe that God's promises are true, you are unlikely to act in his character. If you do not believe that uh, God's uh, love uh, redeems us and makes us whole, you will be unlikely to share that news with others. If you believe that this life is all that there is, you will be unlikely to be kind to others and generous with your time and your money. If you do not believe that God has, has, a, has a, uh, much more in store for those who love him than we see right now, we will be uh, very stingy with our love and try to win a blessing for ourselves. So a Christian's life follower of Jesus' life must be characterized by faith. We see Abram also responded in obedience, right? So it wasn't just faith left alone, but faith that drove Abram to obedience. So he did act in obedience, right? He did get up and go where God had sent him to go. And now there's a lot of places we could go with this. When we talk about the importance of being, you know, obedient to the call of the Lord in a Christian life. But there is one uh, specific place where, um, where Christ issues a very, very similar call to that of Abram's here. And it's in Matthew 28, verse 18. 
very familiar passage to most of us. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this command that Jesus issues to his disciples, this call that Jesus put on his disciples, is actually really, really similar to what we see here in Genesis 12. Both of them, both of them first say to go. Both of them end with the blessing of all the nations. And both of them conclude with a promise. Jesus here saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the question for us as followers of Christ, the question for us as children of Abraham is, will we obey this call that the Lord has given to us to go and make disciples? Will we obey this call uh, to, to teach others the commands of Christ? Will we be obedient as Abram, our father, was obedient? The, we see that Abram had a response of faith and obedience, but the last thing we see is that he, he had a response of hope. I believe what drove Abram to keep going after this call here and through his life was the hope that we see embedded in this blessing, that God had more in store, he had more coming. As we've already talked about this morning, as Matthew talked about, the tragedies that we see before us every day are only endurable if we have hope. If we do not have hope, eventually our faith wanes, our obedience wanes, it all wanes, it falls apart in the face of the circumstances before us. But the Christian hope that God is restoring and making all things new calls us to a life of faith and a life of obedience that is able to endure uh, even face of these tragedies again and again through a full life believing that what is coming is better than what we see. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as we see your uh, call to this man, Abram, as we see your rich grace poured out on him, him having never known you, but yet you still providing so richly. God, I pray that we would have faith like that to know your provision, to know your care, and to have faith in what you have promised. God, I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we continue.